I got to the point of doing it and then starting to share it and other people. And like, when you get sober, it's like you listen and you try to be aware of the universe speaking through other people negatively or positively. And what are you going to do with that? I had people in my life, like I would tell them my story, what I just told you that looked at me and they're like, Matt, no one fucking cares in the way that I mean that no one cares because they're always too busy thinking about themselves. So you might as well go do it. What's up? My name is CJ Finley, and this is the Thrive on Life podcast. I started a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. Each week, we interview people on topics of business, health, relationships, mindset, and much more to help us thrive in all areas of life. If the messages in this podcast resonate with you, but you're still feeling a little bit stuck in actually implementing these ideas, I'd love to help you on a more personalized level or connect you with somebody that can. So please reach out. Also, if you've got a friend who you know could benefit from hearing this episode, please share the love with them. My goal is always to spread positive impact through the sharing of knowledge, and I would be honored if you could help me achieve this goal. Today's guest is Matt Williams, founder of FroPro Snack Bars. From day one, FroPro has been about much more than smooth, rich peanut butter and simple natural ingredients that come together to make up their delicious on-the-go snack bars. They were founded on the very uncomplicated notion that taking part in the community of like-minded individuals, all dedicated to constantly improving their lives and the lives of the people around them, could only make each of us stronger than we could have ever been on our own. This revelation came to light in 2010 after Matt's life changed dramatically. He was arrested for driving under the influence and found himself lost inside a place where he felt as though life was passing him by. Matt immediately checked himself into rehab and got down to work. Building on the momentum of overwhelming outpouring of love and support he received from his friends and family, and most of all his wife Chelsea, Matt finally brought together all the ingredients that would make FroPro the brand and company it is today. FroPro has always been handmade to keep those of you on the go, going, getting you from where you're at now to the next step in your dreams with a healthy, delicious, nutrient-dense snack that we've all known and loved since day one. Keep it simple, eat their bar, and raise yours. Please welcome to the show, Matt Williams. What is up, Thrive Fam? CJ Finley here again with another episode of the Thrive on Life podcast, and today I have here with me Matt Williams, founder of FroPro badass bar out of florida and we have him here in austin texas for a little bit so i had to snag him thank you for coming through on a saturday i appreciate you how are you doing today i feel great man thank you again for having me and always great to see you guys and connect and it's uh it's it doesn't matter what day it is i'm happy if i'm asked and get to to come on a cool show and, and chop it up with some awesome humans and you being the awesome human running the show uh nothing but grateful so thank you yeah, I was watching one of your things and your wife gets on you for saying awesome too much. I do say awesome, <laughs> awesomely, triumphant, uh, amazing, stellar. I try to mix those words up, but yeah, awesome comes on. <laughs> it comes out of my mouth a lot. I like it. Yeah. Positive vibes attract positive tribes. That's true. That's so true. We're going to get right into this today. And something yep. that hits home with me with your story is this August will be two years uh, sober from alcohol for me. Mm. And Love for that. you... Uh, May 17th of 2010 started your journey. So you're coming up on 13 years. Crazy. So one of the first, qu congrats on yeah, that. Yeah, congrats um, to you. Thank you. Yeah. And one of the first things I want to get into is you were mentioning on one of the talks that you had given prior that we all have character defects and flaws. We're humans. Correct. When it comes to being unsober yeah. and having an addiction <laughs> or being an alcoholic, what were some of the character defects in your life that you saw within yourself that led to that in the first place? I think number one I talk a lot about is fear. Uh, and it's just kind of that fear of the unknown or fear of losing something. And again, this is stuff that I know now, right? Like fear of losing something that I have or think that I have or fear of not getting something that I think I want. Um, so fear is a big character defect for me. But uh, a lot of the other things that associate kind of stem from that, you know, that you know, that unjustified rage or anger that I think is in everybody. And it's like, am I going to feed that today? Um, and, you know, I always tried hard not to let that out. Um, sadness. And again, these are things that are just emotions, but uh, they're all associated with fear. So I'm just kind of trying to describe that because when you boil down to it, it comes down to fear. And again, that's coming from learning in sobriety. So yeah, my unsober activities like manipulation, um, lying, cheating, stealing, um, things that I wasn't raised to do, uh, and things, you know, I have a great family, great parents, two older brothers that 
you know, I'm the only one in my family like me that stepped over a line that once I, once I crossed that line, I just couldn't come back without help from something greater than myself. Um, and a community of people that had solved or were currently solving that problem in a fellowship and, and, and other ways. So there's a lot of ways to get sober and there's a lot of things that drive people to get sober. And I think the, one of the hardest things, and it's different for everybody because I've heard a lot of really tragic things in sobriety about people's stories and they're there to tell it. And for me to be like, wow, I'll just gladly take my problems that I thought were problems back after hearing some things. But again, everybody, we we're talking before the show, everybody's reasons for doing things are different and everybody gets to a place different and it's your journey. So I think the defects that kind of like came through me were that I didn't want anybody to see who I really was. Like my ego was really large and I was like, I, I was successful at certain things and I allowed those things to, again, like dictate who I was. Like, you know, I was a teacher, a coach and like all these things. And I went to grad school and I thought if I did all these things and I checked these things off, now looking at it, it was, was I really enjoying it? I really did, but I also didn't, I, I didn't give a shit about it. Yeah. You can curse. Go yeah. Ahead. Okay. Like, I was, I was <laughs> Be your authentic. Yeah. Self. I just, you know, it was one of those things where, um, I truly didn't appreciate it and I thought I deserved it. So there's that entitlement too. And I think an entitlement defect for me, again, wasn't raised that way, but I got to a point where I was like, I'm working so hard and like this, this is for me. I deserve this because of, mm. and that's not a really good place to be, you know, because there's no gratitude there. No gratitude lives in entitlement or fear or resentment. And then as I say, to round that off in the unsober, I was very resentful of people. So rather than having a conversation with you, if I had an issue with you, I would create all these crazy conversations in my head and then I'd start to believe them. And meanwhile, you probably weren't even thinking about it or didn't even affect you. And then I'd be even double pissed if I did bring it up and, and you'd be like, well, dude, what are you talking about? I'm like, I've been raging over this for blah, 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 or whatever the reason was. So yeah, I think, I think a combination of a lot of defects that required a lot of work and a lot of looking at and a lot of awareness and a lot of people that had worked on that in their lives to say, hey, it sounds like you're experiencing this. Um, can I give you a suggestion? And before getting sober, I'd be like, you can go fuck your suggestions. Even though I knew I wanted it because I was going to figure it out because of my ego. I deserved to figure it out because I was entitled. Again, just a little prick. And I, I just, I, I had so much fear and anxiety of being right or being wrong or being successful or failing. I just was just like stuck in that like perpetual cycle of like not being real. Right. And anytime someone got close and kind of started like, I see like they could kind of see who I was. I would either steamroll over them and kind of try to blow up the relationship. And then no way you don't have to deal with it. Right. And then manipulate to be like, well, this is, it's your fault. Yeah. And turn the tables back on them. And it's like, again, none of this was taught to me. It was just the way I learned how to deal with my ability not to stop drinking and drugging and kind of living in that fearful place of like, you're going to find out who I really am. I'm resentful at you because you probably have something I want or I think I need and I'm, I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to ask you how to get it. Uh, cause of my ego. And there's just, just so many things, so many defects that like pile up. And I think drive a lot of people, whether you're an alcoholic or not, or an addict or not, that drive a lot of people in that cycle. Like a lot of people like, again, not like stay in jobs or do things that they think they're supposed to, because that's the script that they were given. If that makes sense. Yeah. And something you said at the very beginning of your, your response there, which I want to kind of dig a little further on this is a lot of people don't speak about their problems because there's a lot of tr like massive trauma shown to the world now. Like on mm -hmm. social media, you can find a lot of massive issues that people have had, whether it's like cancer or they lost a loved one or there's certain things that we then validate like, oh, it makes sense that that person has a problem because like something extremely traumatic happened to them. But I'm a data guy. I'm a, I'm a like numbers guy by by default. And the reality is like, that's actually a rarity just because we see it more through social media doesn't mean that it's like every single person goes through that. The majority actually are like silently suffering. And right. that's where I want to speak to that because there's people out there that they don't have, they don't have a job that they love. They're not in a community that they love. They are leaning into those defects that you're talking about, but they don't, even recognize that it's a defect. Right. And 
they're just getting by right now. And what I look at it like is like they're cars that are revving their engine on the red line. Mm. Can you do it? Yes. Yeah. But you only have a finite amount of time before something really bad happens. And in your life, fortunately, but unfortunately, the bad event didn't cost a life, didn't cause something extremely traumatic, but it did cause you to course correct. Right. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the day that you actually got pulled over and what was going through your mind during that. <laughs> because for me, I think of it like this, like me and my friends, that could have been any one of us that gets pulled over for DUI, DWI. Right. If you haven't gotten into that scenario and you were a drinker, we all could, it was like flipping a coin, whether it was going to happen. So well, I don't know what it was like because I flipped a coin and I got lucky, but right. on your end, what was that experience? So I was a major consequence guy and like those consequences didn't really do anything. Cause like, again, being somewhat of a people person and knowing a lot of people, a lot of the times it was like a slap on the wrist or I knew the right person that would get me out of mm. it. And I would kind of skate away. And I learned that very early on. And like the, the crazy thing is I came from a small town and everybody knew each other. So if like you got in front of the judge, it was like, Oh, so-and-so that used to coach their kid in baseball. And they're like, Hey man, looks like what I'm looking at here is like pretty serious, but like, I know you and I know, you know, you probably made a mistake. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a mistake. Yeah. Cool. And let me go. Didn't really serve me at the time, at the time, at the time it served me. And I thought again, wow, like this is all I have to do. And that's like, I learned how to manipulate and use people, which is a, a, a terrible thing. I just, before I get into that, I do want to say one thing is again, you're about to be a father. So congratulations. And, and, and we're talking about doing things in the process of doing things and then saying, I'm doing this because like when my father passed away, right, I was 26. The re the reality is I was the youngest son of three. Everybody was suffering. And what did I do? I, I got completely drunk. And then I went home and, st and, and, and held myself together to be a part of the family. And when I left that situation a couple of days later, what did I do? I went and got completely drunk. And when people were like, hey, man, are you okay? I'm like, you drink like this if your dad just died. So I, how selfish mm -hmm. and self-centered I was. You know, yeah, I was there for my mom. I was there for my brothers and everybody that came in because my dad was an amazing man and helped a lot of people in the community and was just one of those guys was super quiet, never yelled. Like, and he talked to you, he would talk like this. So you'd really have to listen, you know, and he would talk low. So like, those are the things like, I'm, again, I'm, you asked me the first question, I'm still in that defect of like how selfish and self-centered that is before you actually have an awakening, right? So the awakening, and I don't remember a lot from that night because I was way, way, way over the limit. I remember crashing my car. I remember some yelling happening at me. I didn't know, you know, I had hit somebody. It was the first time, again, like I had, again, like you said, there have been many coin flips where nothing happened. Um, and there was no like skating out of trouble, but nothing happened. Or like I came to before crashing into a wall or before doing something else. But that last moment and that last day, which, which was May 15th of 2010, because I take two days because there's so much stuff in my system. Um, but I just remember kind of getting out of my car. And again, I driving a Jeep, Jeep Wrangler soft top, no doors on the car in Florida, coming from a pool party, half naked, wearing board shorts and sandals. And I just sat on the side of the road and waited to get arrested. I didn't run. I didn't, I was, I was, I was like exhausted and probably wouldn't have gotten very far. Cause I had definitely crashed cars before and like tried to hide and like <laughs> in plain sight and people were like, excuse me, sir. Uh, it's 3am. Is that your car on fire? Is that your car that you just crashed? You're the only one here. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's weird. Weirdly enough. That's, uh, that's who I am. Um, but I remember going to the nice little Boca, Boca, like lockup. And then them basically saying, yeah, you're not going there. You're going to gun club and gun club is a prison in Florida overlooking uh, a golf course. And I remember kind of coming in and out of consciousness because it was, it was, it was just really bad. <laughs> right. And when you come in and out of those, I'd been in locked in drunk tanks and like slept on like floors and benches. But it was the first time it was like very um, humiliating where it was like, I was standing next to three or four other, I think it was four other gentlemen. We were stripped completely because we were going in to general population, stripped completely, searched every possible way 
given a jumpsuit and then walked into general population. First time for me. And I had seen it before and like, you know, like the scared straight stuff and I've seen yeah. the videos. And I remember one time in Virginia, I got into, you know, I was in the drunk tank and they walk you by the guys that are locked in there and that are there for, uh, for a long time. And it was like, man, like what's happening, you know? And it was the first time that, again, I share this anytime when I kind of came to, and it was, I think it was like the 16th. Yeah. It was the, it was the next day. And I kind of came to, and like, you know, it's like my eyes were closed and I could hear stuff. And I was like, if you've ever been to a place where like, man, I hope I, I hope this is a dream. And when I open my eyes, I'm not where I am. And I remember coming to like the dried tears, the snot, you know, fortunately I didn't cut myself too bad, but I was like, you know, the sweating, like just, I just was like an, a, a, a puddle of a human. And I just kind of was just like, man, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired and I need help. And I said those words out loud and I, first time I'd ever said that. And it was weird because the result of that ended me <laughs> getting in front of the judge and like, you know, you walk through this whole thing and this guy looked at me and he's like, he goes, you look like you've had enough. And no one ever said that to me. And, uh, you know, and like, I couldn't really look at him in the eye. Like I can look you in the eye today. And I was like, oh yeah, sir. Yeah, I have enough. He goes, you know, there's some people that came here to uh, like the movies. They like tried to bail you out. Goes, so obviously you have a lot of people that care about you. And I was like, oh yeah, sir. Yeah, sir. Uh-huh. He's like, I'm going to, you know, based off what I'm looking at here in the last 10 years um, that I know about, um, it looks like uh, you have a long road ahead of you and I'm going to release you on your own recognizance, R-O-R-O-R, or yeah, R-O-R. And I was like, okay. Like, he's like, you'll be out of here in a little bit. And he goes, um, I hope you take advantage along lines of, I hope you take advantage of this opportunity and, you know, I hope I don't have to see you again in my courtroom along those lines. And I remember I, I, I left and I'd made one buddy while I was in there and it was like a guy and I was sitting with this guy in general population and he was just like a, probably like 10 or 15 years older than me. And like he had been there before and I listened to him talk about his mom coming to bail him out. And at the time I was 28 and he was probably in his mid forties and he's like, yeah, you know, my mom's coming to pick me up. You know, I've gotten a bar fight and beat this guy's ass. And I was drunk and it's not the first times I've done this a bunch. And I was just like, and I wasn't a fighter or anything like that, but I was like, wow, this is, this, this is me. If I, if I don't get my shit together, either going to die or I'm going to be this guy. And I don't want to be this guy. But when I got out, we got at the same time, I borrowed his phone and I called a buddy of mine who I knew was sober. And I said, Hey man, um, just getting out of gun club. Uh, I'm an alcoholic man. I need some help. And he was like, no shit. He goes, I've been waiting for this phone call. I was like, I don't know what to do. He's like, all right, what do you need? I was like, well, um, the girl I'm dating, she's going to come pick me up. Um, uh, you know, maybe can you call my mom or no, nah, nah, don't, don't call my mom. And, uh, I'm going to call my brother. And he's like, okay. He's like, I'll see you when you get back. And, uh, it was crazy. Like I, I, I called my brother and these are people that love me unconditionally, but like kind of were starting to love me from afar. And they're like, Hey, uncle Matthew, Hey Matthew, we love you. But you know, when you're, you're doing um, the things that you do, it's, um, it's really tough to be around. And I was that guy. Uh, and I was that guy that, you know, was a super nice guy and we could do this. But the minute I put a substance into my body, I had no off switch. So it was like not an everyday thing, but it was like, you, you know, I share this all the time. If you and I were drinking right now, I could sit here with you and drink probably till tomorrow. But the minute I would get up and leave this environment where we are now and I would go somewhere else, that's when it would hit. And then I would black out and end up wherever I'd end up until my body stopped. And um, it's a weird place to be and a very scary place to be because a lot of the things that happened in my life, like I said, like you said, coin flip. You know, so a lot of the times the coin flipped and uh, it was a consequence. A lot of times I got away with it. Uh, and I think that last moment of when you get to a point of just complete and utter um, bottom, as they would describe it, right? I'd had, you know, financial issues here, legal issues here, familial issues here, girlfriend issues here. But when all of it comes together in one shot and they're basically like, because of your alcoholism or your drinking, you're going to lose a lot of things. One of them might be your freedom for one to three years. And I was like, because I drank and drove, I'm going to end up in prison. Like, is that, is that, is that like, is that a real thing? And they're like, 
the amount of times and things that you've done over the last 10 years, that equals what you're, what you're looking at. And I was like, man, and, uh, it was the first time I, I, I asked for help. That was the first time I actually listened to suggestions. It was the first time that like those defects didn't drive my life, if that makes sense, because like they weren't functioning and serving me. And I was at a point of being like, okay, this hasn't worked. My way has never worked. I am now willing to a ask for help B literally do whatever you tell me to do because I don't want to feel this way. And the way I wanted to, the way, the way I felt was not wanting to be on the planet anymore. And I know that sounds like pretty dark, but like the thing that I enjoyed the most and I love to drink and I love to party and like, I loved it, but I love people. So it was like, it just enhanced me to do more of that until the point it didn't. And then I was like, I want to die because I can't, not do that. And I thought there was no other way to do it, even though I lived a life before alcohol, if that makes sense. And before drugs, but like, that was when I was like 12 or 13. So there's just like a long 15 to 16 year window of like living a certain way. Um, and just fueling myself. You said like redlining for like, <laughs> I don't want to say I lasted 16 years, but like there was just like these buildups and teardowns and like peaks and valleys to the most extreme, like Everest to like the Dead Sea of like emotions, physical responses, relationships, ruins, some in, some out, you know? So there's just like a, a massive, massive weight lifted once that starts stuff, like once that stuff started coming out. And just, again, being my authentic self and like just vomiting everything that I had felt or gone through or person. And I was able to, again, get around people that helped me kind of like focus that and break that into steps, if you will, or principles or traditions where it's like, hey, let's try to kind of like align or put these things into a place where you're not just like shooting from the hip and like and vomiting all over the place and really just kind of figure out what works, what needs to be worked on, and then figuring out how to do that and take action. I hope that, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean- it, I know that was hits, a lot. But. Yeah, but it hits home with me, and I know it'll hit home with a lot of my buddies. Like, one of the things that I look back on my life, I didn't know how to be a man, because mm. if you start drinking in your teens, and then you binge drink through college, and then you become a young professional, and you're drinking on the weekends, you're not learning how to deal with your problems. And like for me, like being a man, and you mentioned I'm, I'm about to be a father, it's learning how to have the discipline rather than chasing the dopamine. And the discipline is I have this problem, I'm gonna face it head on, and I don't need anything or anyone to pull me in any which way to help me feel better. Mm. The, the thing I think that all men struggle with is we have a feeling and we tell ourselves, I'm not supposed to have this feeling. Mm -hmm. Like I'm supposed to be a, a man, a guy. I'm supposed right. to be tough. Man up. Yeah. Man up. Yeah. So it's not the problem that we have the feeling. It's our response and our reaction to that feeling. When you are sober and you're clear, like we are, both of us can articulate every single day we go through some type of struggle or feeling in our body where it's like, I don't like the way I feel right now. Mm. The, the difference though is like, I have the discipline to say, okay, one, this feeling is normal. I'm a human being. Two, okay, if I really wanna go down, like, okay, why am I having this feeling? Did I, did I set myself up for success this morning? Mm. Did I get outside? I'll go through this checklist of things. <laughs> When you are constantly inputting a substance or something in place of that feeling, you never know how to actually handle your problems. And that was the big thing for me. And it, what it, what it stemmed, stemmed into is like a lot of what you were talking about, redlining. And then I, I consider myself just somebody that got lucky. Like I was right time, right place. I always knew like what to push it to. Um, but I don't know if it has to do with like, I've always wondered this because I could drink and like, f I could 
I, I knew what I was doing when I was really drunk. Mm. Wow. Like I, I knew in the moment, but if I had to recollect, I would have no fucking clue. Right. And that was my problem because I always like, oh, I somehow got home. I somehow got to my bed. Mm-hmm. I somehow, everything worked out. So it never made me question. Now for me, when it was like, when you were like, I don't, I don't want to live, I started getting sick. So it started, I already have an illness and then drinking for the period that I did was just making me worse. And I would hide the fact that that was making me worse. And I was like, oh, it's not that. I'll change my diet. I'll work out more. I'll do more recovery, but I'm not giving up the alcohol. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I started slowing down the alcohol and I was like, man, I'm in so much pain. Like, I don't even know if I want to live. So I need to turn this gear into, I need to start laying new bricks. And that's where I want to take this conversation is, I feel like everybody, every single day, you're either laying a brick as a foundation for your future or you're laying a brick as something from your past and something that's causing conflict or problems and you don't want to deal with that. I like that. Um, so because that, that was my life. It was justification of negative bricks. Mm. I'm laying these ne- negative bricks, but immediately when I take some of the things away and I start focusing on like, what's just a positive brick I can stack? And then you go five years and then you go 10 years and you're just like, holy shit, my life is, I don't even know who I am. Right. Like I think back to 18 year old me, I'm like, holy shit, that wasn't, I can't even, I honestly can't even like remember because I'm me now. And I live in a new city where most people just know this version of me. They don't know that other version. So when I talk about this stuff, it's just like, they can't even fathom that like, yeah, that was me. So when you're talking about this story, it hits home so much, but what, were the first negative bricks. Like you mentioned like being 12, 13. For me, the negative bricks was we played sports. Mm -hmm. I was very athletic and okay, we're playing sports, partying after sports. Of course. It's just natural. You have cul-de-sacs where you grew up? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Basements. Yeah. 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 Basement parties, all that. It was natural. And Oh man, I can still, I I still remember like, okay, now I'm going to go from, I'm competing on the field to, I'm going to be the beer pong champ. And then it was just like this thing that just, it's like a one negative bricks just laid after It's like a one up thing, right? Yep. You know, like, uh, how can you go one step harder? Like it was, you know, small town and, you know, you show up to the party with, you know, a substance and then, you know, the next time, you know, or somebody does. And then the next time you show up with double or triple that substance or, you know, alcohol, whatever it is. Right. And like nothing hard, crazy back like in high school, but it, it kind of persisted into uh, or led into discovering some, some more intense substances in college and not to the later years. Cause again, just some of the things like how selfish I was when like, you know, friends that died or, or, or tragedies that happened and, you know, anger that was fueled and, and fear, at like, you know, God or the, uh, what I understood to be something, you know, something in my life. And, and then just like blaming, blaming that and, and doing what I wanted to do and justifying and rationalizing and bricklaying all these negative things because like I was entitled to do it because I was me and I worked hard and like, I deserve this because. Yeah. During the daylight you were right. And the, and like, the man. Right. But that, and you know what the crazy thing was is, is I let, you know, they talk a lot about an alcohol, like a double life, right? I was Mr. Williams as a teacher, coach, mentor, doing all these cool things. And then like, you know, I, at night I would bartend or I'd, you know, uh, work in a restaurant and, you know, you get in with all that crew and it's a lot of alcohol and drugs. And it's a lot of, you know, that one upping comes back is like, how many lines can you do? Um, how many shots are you going to do tonight? And, you know, how many drinks are you going to do? And like, no one tells you that that's a thing, right? No one says like, Hey, this is a thing. And like, you should be doing this. It's just something that I did. And eventually it, it pushes people away and people are like, dude, you're a fucking disaster. That, that brings me up. That brings me to a question. Do you think you would have, if you were in a completely different environment, say you, you had started your entrepreneurial journey earlier and you, would you have been a different person? It wouldn't have happened. And, and this, this ties into something I was talking to somebody out today. It's like, how are you able to start? Cause like I was full of fear. So until I think you hit some form of bottom and that's, again, this is just my experience. And, and, and I had to hit multiple levels before, 
starting anything because I was too afraid. Like I had ideas and cool things like this would work and that would work, but I was too scared of what other people thought, what they were going to say. And if I wasn't going to be, you know, I was going to be liked or is it going to be successful? Is it going to fail? Like I was scared of everything. I was fearful of everything because again, I had gotten to that point where it's like, what does it even matter? Like I do all these cool things and I thought I had made it at 28. I'm like, I'm down in Florida driving a soft top. I got a job and I'm coaching varsity baseball as a, you know, speed guy. I like just part of this cool thing and a fourth grade teacher and like Mr. Williams and blah, blah, blah. And I took it for granted and it really didn't mean anything. And I worked so hard. And like, I look back at that now and I'm grateful for my experiences in grad school and masters and education and, 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 and learning psychology and all these things. And, you know, you know, it's funny. It's like, what do I do now? I own a gym. I started a business and none of that would have been possible had I not hit bottom and gotten sober. Because when you, my point is when you hit a bottom, right. And you, and you reach a level where for me, I didn't want to live anymore. Anything after that doesn't seem hard. If that makes sense. It's bonus time. No right. and I talk about this a lot. Right. When you're on bonus time, you're just like, fuck it. We're just going right. to floor it. Yeah. And we're going to do the best that we can. Yeah. Um, you know, like I had a lot of people when I, when I came or, you know, I didn't come up with peanut butter, right? I didn't come up with snack bars, but when I brought it out there and I was like, it's refrigerated and this, and I had a lot of people like, oh, it's stupid, a refrigerated snack bar in Florida. It's Florida, it's hot, blah, blah, blah. And like, this is before like Perfect Bar really took out. And again, I was at a place of just starting over. So I would listen to these. It was the first time I listened to somebody unsolicited or solicited, thank them for their opinion and just kept it moving because it made sense to me. And I felt that there was like a divine inspiration of like, Hey, this is what you're going to do. And like how I got to the point of doing it and then starting to share it and other people. And like, when you get sober, it's like you listen and you try to be aware of the universe speaking through other people negatively or positively. And what are you going to do with that? And like had people in my life, like I would tell them my story, like, like what I just told you that looked at me and they're like, Matt, no one fucking cares in the way that I mean that no one cares because they're always too busy thinking about themselves. So you might as well go do it. And to, that's such a great statement. If you're getting into any business or project to make other people care, you're in it for the wrong reasons. Wrong. And that's what crushes so many ideas and dreams because you, you talked about judgment. Like one of the things I say in my, like to myself is like, you can't allow the judgment be your jury. Like the verdict of what other people say, whether it's yes or no, like is not real. It's not reality. All that matters is like when I wake up and when I'm putting my best foot forward and, and that effort, am I proud of that? Am I proud of the product I'm putting out or the service or the man that I am? Because I can't control what that person's going to think because at the end of the day, they only care about themselves. And right. I my expectation for them to think otherwise, that's flawed. Like if I expect you to think some way of me, that is completely flawed because you have your own stories and your own way of life. The only thing I can do is just be my best me and hopefully it encourages you to do the same and like that's how we get better in the world. And that's where I want to shout out before we get into this next thing, like one of the things I, I always look on everybody's website because I'm always looking for inspiration and Y'all put on there, we were founded on very uncomplicated notion that taking part in a community of like-minded individuals, all dedicated to constantly improving their lives and the lives of other people around them, could only make each of us stronger than we could ever be on our own. And one of our brand slogans at Thrive on Life is strive together, thrive together. So when I saw that, that's how I know, okay, we're super aligned yeah. in that. Um, and to me, like, I want to make it very clear, like what major defects in your story that you were telling early on in this episode, all you did was use the same defects, but just in a positive way. So if you're an outgoing person and you, you like to be out and you like to be friendly and you like to meet people, you just don't need the substance to actually make that happen and build a community in a positive way. And it was the same way for me when I was like, oh, I don't. I don't need to be at the bar to like be the life of the party. I can be the life of a party in the gym mm -hmm. or in the park yep. or at a networking event, whatever it is that I'm trying to do. And then that naturally is going to attract better people. Right. And I didn't, I don't know the story of your wife. When did you meet her? <laughs> so before I get into that, one of the things I do want to say is yes, those defects can be, um, can be geared in a different way. But another thing, and again, you, you may find this or you, you may have not, is 
a lot of times when you're on and you're living a life and you're thriving and you're doing well, if you have an off day or you have an off situation or you interact with someone that's typically not you because maybe you're not dialed in or maybe you didn't do your, um, your protocol or your routine or your rituals that you do, it's really tough because people will then have an idea and a judgment of you. And I'm just sharing this from experience where I've lost friendships and it gets really, um, the circle gets smaller and the, and, and not, I don't say in a bad way, in a good way. It's just, it just does. Right. Because you do things differently and relationships will change. When I got sober, like one of the therapists that I talked to, he was like, you know, what's your, those are called feelings, Matt. Those, those things that you've been denying for years. Um, those are emotions, those things like that you've been stifling and like just shove, shoving down your throat in your, like just into your deepest, darkest recesses. And it's like, if you're going to change, there's going to be a lot of different things and people that have perceived you a certain way for 12 to 15 years. And then when you change that, it's going to cause them to see the change and then not like it because they're used to either come in and rescue you. They used to come in and, you know, take care of you, or they used to, you know, not like you because you were who you were. And then when you change, it's like, okay. And it's not about how you say it. It's about your actions. So it's like, let's just say, you know, it's like, again, I was sober for a period of time. I made a decision in a, in, in my group and it wasn't a popular decision. And it was something that I needed to do for myself selfishly. And that selfish behavior was in protection of my sobriety and the people that I was around. Um, and it was seen as a negative by them. And I didn't need to explain myself. And I said, I, I mean, I still love you guys. I'm still here for you. I just, I'm, I'm going this route. And um, I, I was seen as turning my back. I was seen as the person that was like not there to support, even though clearly I could look at you and say, I love you and support you. I'm here for you. Um, how you're doing things isn't aligning with how I do things. And that's fine. You do you. Um, I just have to do something else. And, and, it, and it's tough. Um, we could do a whole podcast on that, but how I met my wife, uh, I was a fourth grade teacher and, um, recess. I was outside playing four square with my class and I see this girl walk in and one of my students is like, Oh, that's, that's Chelsea. And I was like, Oh, cool. Is that like, you know, I just didn't think of anything cause I'd never seen her. I, you know, and in the place that I taught, there was a lot of nannies, au pairs, drivers, um, people that weren't parents because the parents were usually successful, traveling, doing stuff, high, uh, really nice school. And I said, oh, cool, is that your sister? And like, you know, girls at that age are like, why Mr. Williams? And I was like, oh, I, she looks like you. Is that your older sister? I don't know. <laughs> you know, and um, funny enough, like she went back. She's like, oh, Mr. Williams asked about you. And then like, I think it was like a couple of days later, like knock at the classroom door and like the, uh, the violin that the, my student had forgot at home was dropped off by Chelsea. And I just kind of popped my head. I was like, Hey, I'm Matt. Like, nice to meet you. I saw you the other day. Um, yeah. Just wanted to say hi. And yeah, that's, that's really it. And she's like, hi, nice to meet you. And then on car pickup, it was like, Hey, do you want to come out? And this is before like, you know, like uh, your own soft serve would come out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a big thing in Florida at the time. And, uh, she was like, Hey, do you want to come for a soft serve with the kids? And I, and I said, Oh, I got a coach, but like, um, we'll link up. And, um, I remember I asked the headmaster, I said, Hey, like, what's the deal? Like if I wanted to like ask somebody out, he's like, as long as it's not a married woman or someone that works here and they're not connected in the way that's not their kid doesn't go here. They're not a married, you know, like he was yeah. just like lying. It's like common sense shit. I said, Oh, okay, cool. I just, you know, just wanted to know. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I took her out on a date. Like we, <laughs> he said, be discreet. Uh, and we went on a date a couple towns over from where everything was and we got to know each other and I was still drinking at the time and we like had a drink and like we had an appetizer and like, I think, I think we like smoked a cigarette and then like watched Glee and like got high. And, um, a month later, and I had said when we were, I was, I was still pretty transparent with people. And I said, you know, like I'm moving back to New York. I'm not staying here. I want to go back. Like this isn't for me down here. And like, I was like trying to go back to that familiarity of like New York city, Stanford, Connecticut, and like that triangle of like nonsense. And, uh, yeah, a month later I was calling her, um, when I was getting out of, out of, uh, out of jail and she picked me up and, you know, took me home and it was like, 
you know, Hey, I'm, I'm here for you. And I was like, you know, run the fucking other way. Um, you're young, you're beautiful. You have your whole life ahead of you. I'm literally 28. I'm probably going to go to jail for one to three years. I'm definitely don't have a job. I don't even know if I walk in on Monday, they're going to allow me to teach or coach. Um, and I'm probably not the best fit. And, uh, she's, she stuck around and, uh, yeah, we got, that was in 2010 and we, you know, she stuck with me when I went through treatment. I went through, uh, I went through a treatment program, um, summer of 2010 and we stayed together and then we moved in with each other. I think it was like 2012. Um, it was the first time I've ever lived, had ever lived with uh, a female, uh, uh, that I was dating, you know, I had, had like female roommates that were friends. Um, and then we got married in 2015 and like she was doing her thing and I was like starting a bunch of different things and pro pro and was getting my life back and, um, just like a lot of cool shit was going on. And then she was like, Hey, I think, um, I think even though I love where I'm at, I'd, I'd really like to help you grow the business. And I was like writing shit down in like, uh, like a notebook with pencil. Uh, like I, there's a lot of things I don't know and I'm okay to say that. And she was running a multi-million dollar jewelry company and traveling and doing fashion shows and f facilitating customer service and salespeople and manufacturing. And she's like, I think, I think, I think I could be of some, some help to you. And I was just like, you probably can, but I don't even know what it looks like. And we started in 2016. She you know, in a way where we said, before you leave your job, you know, we need to make sure because she made a really good living and I was still trying to figure shit out. I was working at a treatment center and I was making money and paying off debts and, you know, staying out of prison and finishing, you know, um, everything that I was supposed to be doing. I wasn't driving, but had drug tests and years of probation and all this other stuff. And, uh, yeah, we got married and then she came on in 2016 and, you know, just kind of like she started to experience like, the highs and the lows of the, uh, the peanut butter snack bar business. And, um, yeah, we just kind of like kept it moving. So yeah, I met her and, and it was, you know, I, you know, whether it was a God inspired moment, a universe inspired moment, you know, me being in South Florida as a 28 year old alcoholic addict that was untreated to stumbling upon one of the greatest recovery communities in the United States, in my opinion, um, as my brother would say is a, really, really twisted, dark, funny way for God to have set that up. Um, and, and the universe to be like, how's this for, how's this for a joke? You know, <laughs> like you being here and being surrounded by people that once you were ready, were like, we're here for you. And I think that's where a lot of, again, the community and success I felt was from people being like, Hey, we, you know, and, and initially when I, I kind of started coming around to these groups and listening to people. I was like, man, what do you want from me? I don't have anything. I don't have any money. I don't have a car. I'm going to jail. I, I can't do anything for you. And they're just like, just show up tomorrow. Come back. Listen, be a part of, we're here to help. Only want you to, only want you to be okay for today. And then, you know, if we see you tomorrow, we'll hopefully focus on tomorrow. Crazy stuff. Yeah. Thank you for running me through that, through that story. One of the reasons I wanted you to talk about that is one of the themes I wanted to discuss here on the podcast was working with your significant <laughs> under. It's yeah. not something that I get to talk about a lot. There's, I don't, I actually don't get to talk to a lot of, uh, married people on the podcast and Austin, like most people in, in their early thirties are still seeking their, their person, mm -hmm. um, in, in my group. And then it's something that I'm going on five years of marriage and we're, we're trying to figure out what it looks like to work together in the future, what we want to build and, and something that we want to be passionate about. Anytime I get a chance and an opportunity to speak with other individuals that are already in it and learn from them is, is very powerful for me. And to see like that, to hear that story of she basically was what I would consider a crutch to, to in the beginning um, is, is very powerful because she didn't have to be. And, and, I consider Aaron that, that same way in my life where she granted me the opportunity to even like build thrive. And we're at the, at this position now where a long-term goal is to get her into her own situation, whether it's working with me or I'm helping her build something, which is something we're discussing, uh, behind closed doors here. But when you first started, I'd love for you to talk about your first iteration of your product. And then we'll go kind of into that, like building a team and, and working with mm -hmm. other people 
because there's so many people that have ideas and they just don't know how to go from idea to like, how do I actually sell this thing and exchange the product for a dollar? Like that's the biggest inhibitor for so many people. Mm-hmm. They don't realize necessarily that it's a lot more organic than I think they have in their mind. Yep. Um, and it's a lot more just small little bricks like we were talking about. Sure. So what was the first time that you actually put a fro pro bar together? Because you were messing around with different products and trying different things and handing out different things. But I'd love to know, like, when was something like, okay, fro pro is alive. And like, I'm going to hand this in exchange for a dollar. Where was it? What did it look like? Who was, who was buying it? Uh, To give people kind of an idea of like, cause your packaging and everything and the branding today looks fucking awesome. But I know like in any business, like if you're still around after five years, like you're going to have some cool stories and it's going to look much different than it did in the beginning. 2011 um, idea and fortunate enough, um, you know, again, like I was again, super afraid of what people thought. And, you know, one of my clients and the moms, I was like, this is great. And she sat me down after, you know, her kid tried it and she tried it. And I literally like whipped it up in her kitchen. Like I had in my own and, you know, she's just great. And like, what do you call this? And I was like, I don't know. It's like frozen protein. Like I put it in the freezer and like those, like, you know, those easy bake, you know, cookie brownie type things and, you know, made it. And like, you know, she's like, cool, give me a credit card. She kind of knew my story, but didn't, she just knew I would like, reco- like I had. But, okay. So this is before Instagram really. So how did you really? even know peanut butter? Like, how did you know to like put it in the freezer and like sitting, get the nitty gritty? Sitting, sitting at a job that I was fortunate enough to have through Chelsea and a family friend. And it was basically one of those things where I was sitting there, they would give me something to do. They say, you have a week to do this. I do it in two days. And then like, I'm like, cool. What do I do for these three? And they're like, uh, just kind of be here. We'll like, if you need, if we need you, we'll come and get you. So I would sit there and I would be available, but I would be, you know, researching or like, and I'm not a big online guy. I, I can't sit at the computer. I can't sit at a desk. I'm really bad at it. So I started like selfishly, like reading about food blogs and reading about what doctors are writing this, that, and the other thing. And you know, I had right out of treatment, I was working in a meal prep company before meal prep companies were big because a guy in treatment was feeding the, uh, the, the speed racers, the, uh, the, the drivers, um, in like, you know, these big races. And we all kind of like, they were like, Hey, you know how to cook? And like in treatment, I was like, yeah, I can throw shit together. And like, no problem. That was like two months. And so when I was biking around and not having a ton of money, I was like, what do I have in my, 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 my pantry. I was like, you know, I have some metrics, uh, protein powder, some peanut butter. I, I like, I love bananas. So I was like throwing, I was throwing like shit in all the shit in this and mixing it up. And like, do I bake it? I don't, I don't like heat. Like I like cold food, weirdly enough, like even leftovers cold, keep them coming. Um, and I just started making it and just like, was this eating? I was like, Oh, this is good. And like, I like cold things. And I like, I'm a big ice cream guy. Jenny's by the way, if you have anybody from Jenny's, you send me some pints. Cause, uh, I experienced that the other night. It's delicious. Did, did Noah take you or who'd you go with? He ordered it. <laughs> I was Dude, like, Dude, we get ice cream after every time we eat. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I just started doing that. And then, um, one of the craziest things is, uh, I was, I was kind of getting back into the fitness world and I was like working at this treatment center and trying to figure things out and what I like to do and what I didn't. And I didn't want anybody to know it was my product. And I asked the guys who owned the gym, who I was training there, I was doing like the early five thirty AM classes. And I was like, Hey, do you mind if I, get some feedback. I don't want anybody to know it's me. Cause I was still in that place of like in the first three years, like I was embarrassed. I didn't want anybody to like it. Cause Oh, the poor sober kid that doesn't have any, you know, like, Oh yeah, it's a really great kid. Like thumbs up. Like I fucking hate it. And people were, I was watching people like my confidence was building. Cause people were like, Oh, this is good. And like, you know, guys didn't say anything. And then someone's like, Hey, I want to eat this. And I'm, I'm plant-based. And like, she was asking questions and like, they kind of looked at me and I was like, that's fine. I started talking to her. She's like, so what's in this? And she goes, well, do you know anything about plant-based protein? And I said, no. She goes, well, I own a juice bar and this sport for juice bars are huge. She's like, can you make this with plant-based protein? I like everything else about it. Uh, I haven't tried it, but it looks, looks great. So I went to a vitamin shop, bought plant-based protein, replicated it, brought it to her. She's like, this is great. Can you make me a hundred? It's like. That's awesome. I said, oh, I don't know how to make a hundred. She's like, well, you figure it out when you do. Let me know. I own a juice bar. I would love to carry these for you. And I was like, okay. So I figured out how to make a hundred. I took glad, like I made a hundred and they weren't all the same size. Cause like the, the, the cutter thing was like, you know, as best you could. And, and then one of the things was, is like, I put them in a glad press and seal, wrap them up, put a sticker on it. And I brought like a hundred in a bag, 
my friends who were lawyers, like I said, Hey, do I need to take a contract or, and I like walked in with like this like 13 page thing. And I was like, Hey, I was like, and she kind of laughed and she's like, Hey, listen, I'm just trying to help you out. Like, I'm not going to sign any of this. And I was like, okay. I was like, she's like, do you know how much this costs to make? I was like, no. She's like, well, listen, based off the size, she goes, I'm going to sell this for this. I'm going to pay you this. And when I sell them, it's just consignment. I'll pay you. And I was like, oh, okay. And I like skipped out of there as fast as I could because I didn't want her to be like, never mind, I changed my mind. And I said, yeah, let me know. Like, thank you so much. And three days later, she called me. She's like, I sold out of 100. Can you bring me another? And I was like, really? She's like, yeah. She goes, I put them right at the counter. Um, it was, you know, juice smoothie place. She's like, it's a great add on. People see it. They add it onto their order. She's like, awesome. Point of sale. I was like, cool. Point of sale. I don't know what that means. Awesome. Thank you. Came in, gave her another hundred. She handed me a check. I was like, huh, like this is cool. And like, I just put it off to the side. Didn't even think of it. And then a couple days later, Hey, a couple of people ask, can you do a different flavor? Like this chocolate one's really great. Can you do like a vanilla one? People like vanilla. I was like, oh, I'll figure it out. What am I going to do? I found vanilla protein of the same protein powder I was using. I think I was using Vega at the time because like that's the only thing I yeah. knew about. And um, and then I would bring her 50 vanilla. 50, and then like, then she said, hey, this is going really well. You should talk to my other friend. She's opening something. Went to talk to her. Oh, I'll get 25. I started to get a little confidence. I started to get a little, like you said, organic. And like I remember I went to one place that I like to get meals at. And I asked the guy, hey, would you sell this? He goes, like, hey, I think you're a great guy, but, like, get the fuck out of here. We do, like, legit meals. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, cool. Thanks for the opportunity. Like, ran away. And, like, I just kept on, like, getting introduced to people and, like, trying some different things. And juice bars were coming up and coffee houses. And, you know, the funny thing is, is, like, a couple months later, I love this. The guy was like, hey, do you, do you still do that thing? And I'm like, oh, uh, yeah. He's like, why? He's like, yeah, people keep coming in here and asking for it. He goes, that's you, right? Like, that's what you showed me before. And I was like, yeah, yeah. He's like, let me, will you come by? I'd like to, I'd like to taste it and kind of understand. And in my head, he had a kitchen and I was like, okay. So I went by and I was like, is this guy, you know, again, I give everybody the benefit of the doubt, came over and he said, this is a great product. I'll order it from you. At one point down the line, he tried to replicate the product because he wanted to do it in house, but like didn't know how to do it right. And people were like, yeah, I don't, I, I don't want that. I want the Fro Pro. Like I know who Matt is. I like Matt, and I like what he. I, I like what he's about. I want that. And we we had a lot of highs and lows. Like someone I trusted utmost faith and respect for as a, a man in sobriety, who allowed me to use his kitchen because I didn't want to be a bar that was made at home because in Florida there's so many green markets. If you do the Cottage Act, it basically says, "Hey, you're going to buy this product. It's made at home." And I felt that was it's great but I felt like I want to be kind of more legit, right? Like I was always chasing that. I want to be better. Yeah, if you're going to do something, right? do so, it. So it was like my, my buddy, this guy, was like, hey, you can use my kitchen, but on the hours of this and this, and then those hours were, you know, really late. And so I would go and I started making them and I got to meet the guys that were working in the kitchen. Like I would be coming in as they were leaving and then they were like, hey, like, you know, if you ever need any help with this, I said, I don't know if that's okay. Ask him because, like, you're already here. But if you want to come in and help me, and like, I started to have somebody like help me do it. And uh, funny enough, the, those guys still work for me. Wow. And uh, nine years later, um, they are in like just awesome dudes. They started when they were 18 and like 26, 27. I always tell them, like, every couple months, hey, you guys are ready to do something else. They do do other things. Yeah. And they know, like, hey, dude, we're just, like, they bought in and they kind of, like, regardless if we go nationwide or not, like, they're there because, like, they believe in it. Um, and, like, it blows me away that they I mean, they are it. They are like, it. Yeah. They are you know? it. And that's, like, the, that's so cool. We're doing some sampling with some other things that I do, like, out of their way. Yeah. But as we've grown, it just went from these little accounts to, like, getting that, you know, that opportunity, thanks to my wife. One of her camp friends before Amazon took over Whole Foods, there was, like, regional court, like, regional places where they had all these marketings and they, you know, supported local. And we got this meeting by this woman being like, hey, Chelsea, long time no talk. I see this FroPro stuff around the community and like, I see you're attached. Who, how are you attached to this guy? And she's like, oh, that's my boyfriend and, you know, crazy. And she's like, great to hear from you. What do you do? She's like, oh, I run the marketing at, at, at Whole Foods in, in corporate at Fort Lauderdale. Why don't you come on down? And Chelsea's like, yeah, okay. Like, 
this is, you know, we're wrapped in like a resealable pouch. <laughs> and she goes, just come in. She goes, I, you know, if anything, it's a, you learn something. Yeah. And we're like, cool. And we went in and, you know, again, when you talk about a product and you talk about, um, starting something or something behind closed doors and you talk about like, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a organic peanut butter, plant-based protein, gluten-free oats, honey and cinnamon. And, you know, we do this and this, and then you're a data guy. And it's cool. It's the story behind it. Right. And there are a ton of companies out there that grew because they're either giving back or they had a mission. And it wasn't like, I didn't see this kind of bar and I created this because there was no niche. It was like, yeah, I just made this at like literally the worst part of like literally recovering from the worst part of my life. Um, it was an outlet for me. I didn't create it to be a business. I don't even know how I'm standing here. Um, you guys clearly liked it. Uh, and like, you know, at the time I think I was like six years sober and I was like, I'm just grateful to be here. And like, I hope, you know, you know, whatever feedback you have, uh, we'd really like it and like held it together. didn't break down. And like, sometimes it gets really emotional and they got like, you know, they tried the bar first. We were talking about, the bar itself. And then we told our story. And that's when the guy was like, that's it. He goes, I can't guarantee anything, but if you do these steps within the year, you have a shot at being on the shelves and we'll test, we'll test you out at like, you know, one of the locations. And that one location was actually four in Palm Beach County. And like, we sat on those four for a year and just demoed and met everybody. And like, Amazon came in and we're like, we're fucked. We're out of here. Amazon doesn't care about the little guy. They kept the local program. And uh, when the dust settled, they're like, yeah, let's keep this going. Put us into Miami, put us into Dade, like, and then said, why don't we just go to the whole state? And it was like, we went from four locations to 30 locations, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it was to us. And if you know anything about Florida. I mean, that's like, you're, you're, seven xing there that's right. and a it's lot. and it's exciting but yeah. it's like you go into one of those stores how many brands do you see when you go to whole foods thousands yeah you have to be there you have to share it. and it's really cool because yeah it takes a lot of work and it's like that's what i'm doing here in austin right is essentially sharing my product with people that are giving me the chance and whether the they take the product off the shelves or not at least i'm here and i'm talking to people about what we're doing and and, and just reaching out because that's the only way right you can hire gorgeous women to market your product. If you have a product, you can hire the best marketing team, but if people aren't connecting with you and they're not connecting with the story in my experience, and again, someone may be like, you're dumb. I don't think people are going to give a shit because right. It comes back to it. People don't give a shit unless it serves them or it provides a value to them. And a lot of the stories and connections that we feel like, yeah, we're a great peanut butter snack bar, but we tell a story about second chances and we connect with people in a way where it's like they, I, I look at it as like, they have to be the ones to decide to give a shit. Right. Like you can't tell them you should give a shit. It's more like you're telling your story and I'm like, Oh, I give a shit about this product because I give a shit about Matt because I give a shit about myself who sees myself in Matt. Right. And that's where, I mean, it's clear as day. Like I've been through the ringer of, different products and brands and stuff like that. When I see your yours versus other, other companies, like I know what that's like, but the people at the other end that are listening to this, that's the difference between like going to whole foods and you, the, the, I just, I give you so much credit because I, we literally sidebar uh, story, but my wife and I were at our like last going out dinner last night because she's about to pop yeah. and we go to central market afterwards. Mm. Um, which is kind of like, uh, we're working on it. Yeah. That, like, I don't know what to describe central markets and people outside of Texas. Like it's like, a, it, even though whole foods is here in Texas, it's, it's like, it's similar, but not, it's, it's almost like what whole foods actually should be. It's like right. more like there was music playing there and like it's community oriented. It's like a community oriented whole foods. Yeah. Um, and so we're there and I'm like looking at the, we just go through and just like look at all the new products, um, all the health products. And, it's like, man, these bars, there's just more every single time mm -hmm. that I see them. And I just give you so much credit because it's a beast. It is an absolute beast of an industry to be in. And the only way I think you even have a shot is by storytelling, just like just like you are, yeah. but also by having a strong team. And that's where I, I'd love to kind of get close to, to wrapping here yeah. um, and understanding a little bit about like, 
how you've been able to, you went to the 30 stores, where are you at today? And then working with your wife, like what's, what's the long-term goal of FroPro? Because if someone out there hears this, um, I'd love for somebody to connect with you and say, Hey, we can help you out. So just like telling the vision of, okay, we talked a lot about like problems and how you're conquering them and things like that. But like, what's the grand vision and, and how are you and your wife bringing that to, to life? Yeah. So, uh, currently Chelsea is the CEO, uh, at some point, you know, like I'm the founder, she's the CEO. And at some point you have to find the person that's going to be doing the best. That's going to be, you know, sitting at the desk and pulling the strings and collecting and doing this and going after things. And then the other person that's out there and getting to do like the branding and the storytelling and then someone running that like gives a shit about marketing. And we've been through a million different marketing companies and found a person. So I think you have to go through that ringer, you know, bringing somebody on that buys into your vision and, and rewarding them for that, incentivizing them like, Hey, like I know right now it's going to be tough and there's going to be like really hard times. And like we spent last year, a lot of hurrying up and waiting and, you know, our grand vision, like we went from, you know, that first store with a hundred bars. We're in about 15 States right now. We have a distribution up the East coast. You know, uh, we, we survived the pandemic and, and you know, we didn't take any money. We weren't set up properly. You know, that's my fault, you know, cause like a lot of people got money and we didn't. And I, you know, I said to Chelsea, I said, you know what, like we're doing this, like hopefully people that really need it are going to take it and get it. And a lot of people are like, you're an idiot. I'm like, well, apparently, but we survived. And a lot of the things that were set in place, um, restarted three, you know, after three years. So people that were kind of helping us grow went to a different role or move to a different company and it's like starting over again, but taking that process and saying, okay, you know, we've had time to do these things. We've had time to fine tune what we do. We manufacture in house. Am I open to co-packing? Sure. If there's somebody that's on here that has a manufacturing plan or a co-packing facility, I'd love to talk to you. We're looking to hire sales. We're looking to somebody that gives a shit that not going to cut their teeth. Not that I wouldn't, I would say no to that because I know there's a lot of motivated people out there, but somebody that already has the connections that done it with another brand and a brand that, you know, has had success or I'm going to use my friend's words, who's built an incredible brand. He's like, it's not what I built. It is a corporate entity that is operating in a different way. And it doesn't feel like a community or family anymore. Um, we want to replicate that in every place that we go. And like, there's really healthy pockets all over across the United States, Austin being one of them, heading up into the Northeast and, and, and doing some things and work back there from where I grew up and came from and in the West Coast. But we're just trying to focus on really growing the brand, expanding it in a way with people that are aligned, like-minded individuals that, you know, believe in what we're doing, believe in who we are, like the product, um, and, and see the vision of like really, really doing something great and, and helping a lot of people along the way. Hell yeah. Yeah. I love that. And there's no doubt in my mind that you're going to make that happen. Appreciate it. Flying out to Austin, Texas to, to continue to move that needle forward. And if you just keep doing that, um, you're going to win because winning is really just outlasting. It's just keep going, keep yeah. showing up. 100%. So it's, it's exciting to see. And I just want to thank you again for having this conversation. If somebody loved what they were hearing here today and they'd love to get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to do that? So I do this and some people are like, that's the weirdest thing. But uh, my cell phone is 914-772-6343. Uh, text or call, um, indicate who you are. Um, and, and if you're going to call to bust my chops, that's cool too. But uh, it's the easiest way to get me. I'm a terrible emailer. Um, but you can also go on Facebook, look up FroPro. Um, we are a FroPro snack bar in the United States, to be perfectly clear <laughs> with that. Um, and it's me, Matt, and Chelsea. Um, and you can reach us uh, via Instagram as well at FroPro Snacks. Um, you know, you write, there's no, no one answering, but Chelsea and myself or our director of marketing, Danny, um, who's an also a fantastic addition to our team. So yeah, reach out again, feedback, Hey, <laughs> whatever you want to say, uh, we'd love to hear it because we, uh, we like all solicited and unsolicited opinions because it helps us grow. Hell yeah. Last question I always ask everybody is if you were to define the word thriving, what does it mean to you? putting forth, um, and again, I'm stealing this from someone just because I have to, I have to say that cause it, it's not me saying this. It was someone that said it to me is, um, you're every day you're in the effort business. And if you put forth math, maximum effort into everything that you care about, family, business, spirituality, emotional response, whatever it is, fitness, health, wellness, you truly are thriving. So if you put a hundred percent effort or put effort or however you define effort, if you put effort and you're in the effort business every day and you can lay your head at the on the pillow every night i think that's the true definition of thriving in life today 
That's why I got the tattoo on my side that says, effort disgraces no man. That's correct. Got that when I was 20 years old because I was struggling to figure out my path in the world. And I was just like, you know what? Like the only thing that matters is the effort that I put in and nobody can throw shame at that. If, as long as I know when I put my head down at the end of the day that I put the forth, I put forth the effort that, that I intended to. So I, I love how that ended. I love this conversation. The end, I always kind of give my biggest takeaway. Um, and I tweeted like, it had to be like two weeks ago, like, something about turning tragedy into triumph. And I was watching one of your, uh, your presentations and you said it on the presentation. I was like, no fucking way. Um, and and again, that's not my own thought. I'm just sharing what people that have given me their time, like turning tragedy into triumph, turning a a mess into a message. Like there's so many great one-liners, like the effort business is like, we're in the effort business, not the results business. I mean, you've heard them. You're a voracious reader, so you get it. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted no, to make no, sure. No, 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 <laughs> no. That's fear, not fear, me. Yeah. That's the share. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it, I, I don't even know what inspired me to to say that. Like I just tweeted it out. Um, I, I must have been listening to a song or uh, typically when I work out, I like think of these things and I just like randomly say them. Um, but seeing that and seeing someone have said it to you and then hearing your story here today, the reason that that's the most impactful point that, that I kind of have as a takeaway is something that I think everybody else needs to hear. Like no matter where you're at, there's peaks and valleys to life, but you need to make the decision. Ultimately you need to be the person to make the decision of like, okay, if this is, if this is a valley, like I'm going to change this into a peak. Uh, and if it's a peak, I'm going to not get too high on myself and, uh, think, you're the man or the woman and you're going to continue to put forth that effort mm. like Matt is talking about. Because once you hit one one result, like there's plenty of other results out there uh, to go hit. But the reality is like it's just going to take you showing up and putting that effort in every single day. If you loved what you were hearing here today, uh, please share this episode with somebody that you think this could be useful for. That's the best way that you can help us and give us that five-star rating review. Until next time, this is CJ Finley with Thrive On Life Podcast. Thrive on, y'all. What's up, y'all? This is CJ again. And on behalf of the small team here at Thrive on Life, I'd like to thank you for listening to one of our episodes. Our mission in life is to help people like you fuel your passion and make every heartbeat count. And we realize the best way to do this is together as a team. So we'd love for you to join in on this mission and connect with like-minded individuals within our Thrive on Life community. To do so, please head to thriveonlife.com and connect with us there. We'd love to chat with you. Before I sign off, I'd like you to always remember one thing. When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life.